1: You're listening to Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. This episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio is my colleague, co-host and co-founder here at Pop Health Week, Mr. Fred Goldstein. Hey, Fred. Hello, Greg. Happy days. Yeah, right. The Jags won a game, but you're in the... uh, you're in the line of the Hurricane Matthew, no? You
2: got some concerns? A little bit. We'll see. Hopefully, it'll stay far enough offshore, but we're ready. They are evacuating the beaches here, but other than that, I'm a little bit inland, so about 10 or 12 miles, so it should be okay.
1: Okay, good. We'll be, uh, we'll be thinking of you. So, for those of you not familiar with Fred, he is a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health, LLC, which is a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Fred sits on the editorial board of the Journal for Population Health Management and the advisory board of the Care Innovations Validation Institute. He's also past chair and former board member of the Population Health Alliance, also known as PHA. Fred is um, known on Twitter as at FS Goldstein. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author acrowatch.com, healthinnovationmedia.com, and precisionmedicine.center. Please follow me on Twitter via at 2HealthGuru. Today, we have a real treat in store for you. Our special guest is entrepreneur, author, notable health wonk, and now the big heist documentary, though I understand he has some concerns with the use of documentary. We'll hear more about that. Film executive producer, Dave Chase. Dave's health tech, health IT, and tech credentials are well-known, yet new to the conversation is his film production interests. The Big Heist is a, quote, a documentary film that seeks to make the indecipherable understandable and demonstrate that there is reason for great optimism that a partnership between doc entrepreneurs and forward-looking clinicians with individuals formerly known as patients can dramatically outperform against quadruple aim objectives compared to traditional healthcare orgs. And we'll hear more about that shortly. Dave is widely published and co-authored the healthcare book of the year in 2014. He was the CEO and co-founder at Avado, which was acquired by and integrated into the WebMD platform. And the most widely read, widely used healthcare professional site, that being Netscape. For context, see, have PPO networks perpetrated the greatest heist in American history, which is posted in our Pop Health Week radio description for this episode. So with that brief introduction, Fred, over to you. Let's talk to Dave Chase. Thank you so much, Greg. And
2: Dave, welcome to Pop Health Week. Thank you. My pleasure. Looking forward to the chat. Well, fantastic. And, you know, we've obviously had time over the last couple of months since we met each other to uh, discuss healthcare, et etc. And as Greg mentioned, there was this change back in the 90s from the uh, managed care systems, the HMOs, to PPOs, opening networks up. And you've written about this heist. Was that the turning point? And what really occurred when that happened?
0: Well, I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that have contributed to it, and a lot of perverse incentives. Um, certainly, the the PPO networks, I think, were probably a good concept once upon a time, and and gave uh, discounts and other information. But I think it's you know because of some of the perverse incentives, uh, where there's really very little uh, interest on the part of um, health plans to manage healthcare costs. Certainly, providers are are uh, you know happy to have costs continue to go up. Um, the PPO networks haven't really delivered on their initial promise, and uh, you could argue quite the opposite. I mean, they have. Um, you know, it, it's odd how companies are paying for the privilege uh, where they'll pay a fee to get access to these networks, and they'll pay for the privilege to overpay for healthcare. For some reason. Um, and it, it may go back to that uh, originally, but it's just its one of these things like a lot of things in healthcare where um, it just bit by bit, the compound interest builds up to where things just make no sense um, in terms of what we're paying other than just a, a way to maximize revenues.
2: So you talk about these perverse incentives and you know, that some of us who look at healthcare costs, we've been screaming about healthcare costs and the rise in healthcare costs for years. What makes it different now? what has has it finally reached that point, and who's screaming?
0: Well, I think the the uh, primal scream of the middle class is reflected in our current election, um, and I think it's been badly misreported. Um, the data is very clear that the reason that the populist presidential candidates have gotten the traction they have, is because of the euphemism, we have wage stagnation. Um, The the proper way to describe what's gone on is, uh, you know, one definition of an economic depression is two or more years of income decline. The middle class is in a 20-year-long economic depression by that definition. And it's not because employers are stingy. They're spending far more money than they were on employees 20 years ago. The problem is every dollar and then some. Has gone to healthcare, so the economic depression that is uh, present with the middle class, and we're seeing the effects of it in the current election. And you, you only have to look at 1930s Germany. You know, when a a large group of people are under economic duress, they are vulnerable to particular, um, you know, messages. And it's at least 95, you know, percent created by healthcare. And the overspending in healthcare, and had we seen, uh, you know, our lifespans double or some unbelievable outcomes during that time, we might have we might say that was a fair trade off. But it's not like that has happened. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, so that's to me a great example of that tipping point. Boy, I I literally am hearing at least once a week now some CEO or CFO, um, often in industries where they manage their costs very effectively like manufacturing where they're fight, facing lots of competition. They're like, this realization has hit them that there are one or two remo- renewal cycles from being put out of business by healthcare. And they're, they're not going to let that happen. And so where they may have been sleepy before on uh, healthcare costs, you know, because at one time it wasn't that big a deal in terms of their overall spending. Now it's second, maybe third biggest cost for most companies. Um, it's very material and uh, I think that's what's what's causing this sort of tipping point. And, and it's certainly true in the, the public sector as well. You know, during the debt crisis, um, you know, the former chair of the um, Council on Economic Advisors said, you know, we don't have a debt problem. We've got a health care problem. I mean, it's there and uh, we don't have to do that. Um, there are companies literally spending half as much as other companies on health benefits with benefits packages that are better than 99% of the workforce. So I think all those factors are kind of coming together now.
2: Right. And I know, you know, just anecdotally, I mean, I've seen all the charts, et cetera, whether it's the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation showing the the increase in health insurance premiums and workers' contributions as as compared to their earnings, which demonstrates clearly that earnings haven't been going up but the amount that has been contributed and paid by workers to healthcare is essentially eating up that opportunity. So I think you're right. There are those three groups, the the individuals, the employers as payers, and then obviously government as a payer who are, who hopefully are beginning to recognize this. You mentioned some folks who have solved this. Can you talk a little about that and how they've done it? Yeah. I mean, there are an
0: array of companies um, that have done it in a number of industries I would say probably where I see it most frequently have been the aforementioned manufacturers, uh, some unions, and some public entities, whether it's school districts or uh, cities and towns. And the common thread is they're all um, really feeling the squeeze in terms of costs and wanting to do something about it. In terms of what they're doing, you know, it's remarkably consistent and simple. I would say the the big recurrent threads are number one, they put in proper primary care. We have done everything imaginable in this country to undermine primary care and turn it into, you know, milk in the back of the store referral machine to high margin services versus having it be the foundation of a proper healthcare system. So that's that's one of the foundational pieces. Um, then they're doing things like uh, paying a fair price for things. And there's different tactics on how to do that. There's something called transparent medical markets. There's reference-based reimbursement, but they're saying, you know what, we're gonna uh, work with the delivery organizations, cut out non-value add middlemen, and um, basically pay a reasonable price that the providers are are fine with. Maybe that some will squawk for a while. We saw that with Calpers with their reference-based. Um, pricing where some of the providers like oh we're not going to do that and then they came you know kind of screaming back after long after they were losing volume and uh, it's just the pricing is so completely random in um, and, and the this has been uh, on the backs of the middle class that employers are overpaying and blindly um, paying bills in a ridiculous way you know the same company will scrutinize you know a missing receipt on a you know, restaurant bill, and then they will allow a third party to auto pay 95% of the claims, when you know, I have yet to meet a hospital CEO who would say that there's ever been a fully correct bill that's gone out on anything of any complexity. Um, So it's just really crazy that that's been allowed. And so those are, you know, there's some things in pharmacy that they'll do. And, you know, there's a couple other things, but those are the, the top level things that you see from one organization to another.
2: Right. And these, and these types of initiatives are, are sort of outlined in your health Rosetta. Yep. Correct. And, yep. Uh, yep. and people can obviously go to the web and look, look for that and see things around transparency, et cetera. At the end of the day though, isn't it, I mean, there's so much, you say, junk going on in the healthcare system. Isn't isn't there really a, a responsibility that employers should take up um, as, like you said around the bills? And maybe it's even more formally. I know there've been some talk about ERISA and looking at at the purchasing of your healthcare similar to how you're held responsible for your 401k, et cetera. Are we seeing any movement in that area? Do you anticipate any?
0: I I definitely anticipate. Um uh, movement in that area. Question will be how quick it happens. There's two paths that could go down. And and just for folks who may not be familiar, you know, ERISA is the regulatory framework that oversees uh like retirement benefits for on Ks and health benefits for companies. And there is a fiduciary duty, you know, when you are an employer or is spending money on behalf of the employee, they have a fiduciary duty to to you know, only pay fair and reasonable costs. And companies take that very seriously on the 401k side. Um, And if you put the employee's money in Uncle Bubba's investment fund that gets terrible returns and high fees, you will get your butt sued and you will lose. And that has happened. And as cases have gone all the way to the Supreme Court and companies have lost. Well, in healthcare, we do the equivalent of putting money into Uncle Bubba's investment fund with with terrible returns, you know, because we know PwC and others will tell you that at least 50% of what we spend doesn't add value. You know, imagine Amazon buying servers and every other server didn't work. That's what we do in healthcare. And so there is two paths. One is the labor department clarifying what's obvious that it's the employee's money. You know, you could have made the argument, which I don't agree with, but you could have made the argument that it was the employer's money. They picked up the the healthcare premium, therefore the fiduciary duty doesn't apply. Now the dollars are 70-30 commingled, 70% employer, 30% employee in terms of payment. We just passed last week the 50% threshold for high deductible plans. So if you could ever make that argument, you can't make it anymore. It is the employee's money. The fiduciary duty applies. There are companies that are spending far less. Um, You will have a target on your back as an employer and that will either happen with the labor department clarifying that Or there are class action uh, lawyers who are doing their homework right now. They're calling folks who are knowledgeable on this, uh, including myself to gather information. You know, the way they operate is they gather their information and um, if they believe there's a strong case, because it's a long-term payoff for them um, you know, they, they will then go pursue it. And, you know, there's the top, class action guys in the country that are, are sniffing around and, and uh, very active. So that's a longer term path. Um, But one way or another, it's it, to me, it's just crystal clear. It's going to happen and you may as well get ahead of it, whether the employer or whether you're the providers who are going to deliver services to those employers.
2: Got it. And before we get to the, the film a little bit, Do you think that this move to value-based purchasing, in essence, putting the risk on the shoulders of the providers will will get them to begin to or incent them to do the right thing in these cases and not just keep doing more services or jacking their prices up?
0: Um, Yes. I mean, you have to, I mean, we have some kind of baby steps and sort of bridge things that are heading in that direction. Uh, some have gone all the way there. Certainly, see Medicare Advantage programs, and you certainly see employers um, who have, um, you know, significant direct incentives for the provider organizations that they work with to manage total cost, and they get rewarded or penalized depending on how they do. So that's coming. Um, it's still relatively early days, um, uh, and so there's time, you know, for some of these organizations to develop those muscles, but you know, it's sort of like, you know, power in our cities, you know, there was steam and oil-based um, power and then electricity usurped that. It wasn't like electricity just like flipped on one day and all that other stuff, you know, turned off, you know, there was this overlap period. And so that's what I think we're in where, um, you know, the equivalent electricity in that analogy is happening where the smart employers who are spending 30 to 50% less, are adopting those methodologies, the word will spread. It will remove any excuse that it's not possible for companies to manage their healthcare costs. Um, so, yeah, it's absolutely driving it. Um, and uh, the more the the further they go, the faster it will happen.
2: Great, and you you do so much different stuff. It's 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 always great talking to you and and hearing all the different things you're involved in, whether it's your writing or your thinking or your speaking. And now you've got. Th- this film, this as you call it, a mockumentary, the big heist. Um, tell us about that and what you're trying to accomplish with it. Well, I
0: mean, very big picture. If you look at great society change in, over the last fifty years, whether it's civil rights, climate change, food, education, um, those are bottoms up movements, um, and it wasn't top down. And of course, there were a lot of entrenched interests, and so. Uh, my belief is the only way you catalyze a broad grassroots movement that in healthcare, it's gotta be a partnership between clinicians and citizens. I don't think either can do it on their own. And, you know, the good news and air quotes is clinicians are even more dissatisfied than citizens because they live the dysfunction every day. Um, and they're very, very dissatisfied record levels of burnouts and even, uh, suicide rates are extremely high. Um, and so you need that. And as I thought about, you know what catalyzed those movements? And given that in healthcare, there's 3 trillion reasons to protect the status quo, you got to have a broad-based movement. Well, media and film were integral in that. So you look at uh, MLK. I mean, what set him apart in significant part was the fact that he knew how to use the evening news and the morning paper, which in those days were the tools of influence. Today, you know, MLK would probably be doing live casts and podcasts and be on YouTube and probably using satire, you know, those, the tools of today. Um, And so my feeling was that's an important catalyzing event, just sort of like the inconvenient truth was for climate. Uh, And then you couple that with a movement. That's how you get a change that ultimately, you know, enlist hundreds of thousands and millions of people that say, you know, whether they are, you know, a clinician or whether they're a PTA leader or a business owner, they say, you know what, you know, it's time to pull together cross party lines. We've gone to war for far less than what healthcare is doing to our country right now. And, you know, as Rosie the Riveter was symbolic of the country pulling together, you know, I talk about Rosie the Restore, you know, that kind of archetype female head of household. I call her the female, I mean the family chief health and wellness officer, that often wears multiple hats you might be a nurse you might be a you know mother or a spouse uh, uh, adult uh, child of an elderly parent PTA leader union leader I mean they' that's sort of an archetype of who's going to drive the movement
2: and so the goal is to to catalyze that movement with with the the film the big heist
0: yeah and do it with in a way that is highly entertaining you know not a Um, film that, you know, would appeal to all of us that might be worthy of being on PBS, but something that, you know, is rip-roaring funny, um, but really zings um, the realities of today. And, you know, I I kind of think of it as almost like a reality show, you know, extreme makeover healthcare edition, you know, point out the, the dysfunction and the collateral damage from the status quo, but then... Um, point to the existing things that are proven they've already been invented and proven and modestly scaled and everybody would want those if they knew about them um, and so that's kind of the after and the extreme makeover um, so you know we want it to be super funny so that anybody whether they're in her healthcare or not uh, would appreciate it and want to watch it
2: and how do you see this movie playing in the political realm is it delve into there or is there a reason to stay clear of that
0: Um, well, in terms of the political realm, uh, I think one of the things that's really underestimated, first of all, um, there's a lot employers can do, um, without any change in any law, you know, there's already, um, the ERISA regulatory framework, um, and, uh, they have almost total freedom to do, uh, the right thing if they're aware of it. Um, the thing that, you know, the, the government has four roles to play in healthcare. You tend to think of them as policymaking and also as a, a payer for like Medicare and Medicaid. Um, probably the most important role is kind of the social determinants and public health. And, you know, we tend to starve those budgets because of overspending in healthcare. And then the one that really gets overlooked is, uh, which was sort of alluded to earlier, is they are a massive employer. Um, and if you look at what they did for, uh, you know, accelerating some markets, whether it's, you know, the internet or GPS, um, or advanced battery technology, you know, a lot of times it's in the military, not always. Um, and then that became available for everybody. Well, on the one hand, they're touting, you know, we need to reinvigorate primary care and we need to, um, um you know, move towards value. But then as an employer, they're just as remiss at uh, adhering to their duty as anybody else. And so, you know, that's where I would really point out to them, look, you need to practice what you preach. You know, you're struggling with budgets. um, And, you know, a lot of the, it's happening at the local level where cities and school districts are recognizing sort of tired old models of, you know, unions battling with the The school board make no sense. They actually are in common cause, and so you see places like Pittsburgh, where you know the cohort of first graders are going to have two billion dollars more to work with during their K twelve than the kids in Philly because the unions and the management got together and and solved the problem. So those type of things can happen and should happen.
2: Mm -hmm. And ultimately, at at the end of the day, you know everyone talks about hey, we got a bend trend, we got a bend trend. But some of these examples you've talked about are, like you said, running 20, 30, maybe even more percentage lower than the average premium in their industry f- for their employees and providing great benefits. Isn't it really about trying to take some of this stuff out? But at the end of the day, that is going to impact a fairly substantial piece of the economy and potentially hospital jobs and things like that. Correct.
0: Well, there is a tyranny of low expectations that bending the trend is somehow uh, success when you do have organizations getting far more. Um, in terms of the economic impact, um, healthcare uh, is unique in that it's the only industry where uh, the adoption of technology actually has lowered uh, productivity, um, and that doesn't have to be the case. I mean, it's probably the lowest, you know, has the lowest multiplier effect in terms of economic impact. And- uh, you know the the frame of reference needs to be changed where for example, economic development 2.0 is looks past the you know 1.0 where you know you put a marketing veneer on your community and you know maybe you throw tax breaks to retain or attract a company. whereas places like Dubuque they attracted thousands of jobs um, from IBM because they're a high value community uh, from a healthcare standpoint, And, you know, whatever tax breaks you could throw at a company would get washed away based on whether you're a high value or low value, um, place. And so, you know, there is some reframing, you know, there are, yes, there's a a little caffeine jolt that you get when you build out a hospital, um, in terms of the jobs, there are no lack of jobs, um, that are going to be needed. They just don't need to be in the most expensive, most dangerous place, um, Possible, which is a hospital, so there'll be plenty of jobs, you know, with aging boomers um, for clinicians. Um, there's all kinds of opportunities. Will there be some disruption and and people moving around? Yeah, I don't want to gloss over that, and um, that's really on the the shoulders of the leaders of these health systems. They can do exactly what another oligopoly um, monopoly type of operation did in the newspapers, which also thought they were intractable, and the leaders there, you know, otherwise had great careers. But they, you know, the final chapter was they drove their organizations off a cliff. You know, there was a few smart ones that that uh, got ahead of the curve, reinvented themselves, realized there can be a different cost structure and different model. Um, and so that's really on those leaders. Um, they don't have to inflict, you know, have the pain inflicted on their organizations if they get ahead of the curve. If they don't, um, they're not guaranteed um, a role in the health ecosystem anymore than newspapers were guaranteed a role. So they've got the opportunity to shift and the smart ones will. Um, but, you know, if you're not smart and you don't make those changes, you know, that you're not entitled to exist forever.
2: I'm, I'm right there with you. So let's in the last few minutes we have touch on the film. Where are you in the process of, of producing the film and um... And how are you funding that?
0: Yeah. So we are um, pretty early in the process. You know, we've got the general direction of the film. We've got some great team put together. We're doing a crowd fund that's going on right now that you can uh, get linked to at BigHeistMovie.com. Um, we are literally, I, I looked before our call. I think we were uh, $400 away from hitting our, our target. But it really, we're raising some money that way also through investors. What that really is about is we've got a one dollar perp, which is the allow, lowest they allowed us to do because it's really about building the foundation of that movement and having people who want to be on the right side of history uh, join us. Um, and so that's really the point of that, coupled with it does flush some people out of the weeds that are really connected in the industry. And we've gotten some incredible people, some of the most famous people in the industry, um, you know, wanting to be a part of this or we have connections to, and we will. Um, you know, talk to as a result of that. So, um, you know, if, if all goes as planned, you know, we'll be hitting the the film festival circuit sort of late next year and early, you know, the, the following year after that. So it's a journey, but, we, you know, we have the website. We're already getting lots of stories. We're going to be rolling out a lot of this. We'll have a lot of things that happen between now and then and look for people to, you know, look for people involved, you know, in
2: between now and then. Well, I know that Greg and I are with you on this journey. I'm really happy to participate. And I think it's great because at the end of the day, we've got to do something different. It's time to fix this thing once and for all. We've been talking about it for long enough. So I, I really um, appreciate you taking on the mantle and grabbing a hold of this thing and, and contributing all that you've done.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's been a lot of fun. Love working with folks like you and Greg. And uh, there's a bunch of us, you know, all the people in the industry are great folks. Um, they just aren't always in, in, inside of a great model and a great organization. So we just need to sort of pull together and move towards this health 3.0 vision that we have.
2: Well, Fantastic. Thanks for joining us this week on Pop Health Week.
1: My pleasure. Thanks so much. And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast.
2: I want to thank our very special
1: guest, Dave Chase, for his time and insights today. Do follow Dave's work on the web at www.rosetium.com. Www.rosetium, on Twitter via at Chase Dave. And check out the crowdfunding site for The Big Heist, the movie, at www.bigheistmovie.com. Until we meet again on Pop Health Week for Fred Goldstein. This is Greg Masters saying bye now.